Parshas Misoida. When you shall come to the land which I give you as a possession, and I shall give a plague of leprosy upon a house of the land of your possession. In studying this Pasuk, the Chachamim took note of the word Nosati. I shall give to you, I will give a plague instead of the more common Visamti, I will place implies a gift of sorts. And remarkably, that's how Chazal understood these words. These are good tidings to them that plagues would come, would come upon them, the Chachamim say. Now what good tidings could there be in a home that is contaminated with saras, a home that has to be knocked down? So Chazal tells us that upon hearing that the Am Yisrael was advancing towards them, the Canaanim the had concealed their wealth, all of their gold and silver in the walls of their houses. And when the loyal Jew obeyed the law of Negebatim, and eventually he knocked down the walls as commanded in this week's Parsha, he discovered the wealth that had been hidden there all along. And so it was the Saras that Hashem had given to the owner of this house that became the bearer of good tidings. Because this family had possessed a great store of a great store of wealth in the walls of their home, only that they weren't aware of what they possessed. And it was only when the tsaras came that they realized what a treasure they had in the home all along. The family might have lost the wall, and sometimes even the house in its entirety had to be demolished. But what they found in the process was a treasure more than made up for the loss. But you have to know that gold and silver were not always found. Not every Canaanite had treasures. There were middle-class Canaanites too, and even the wealthy Canaanite. Maybe his wife was a spendthrift, a high roller who squandered her, her husband's money and didn't want to leave anything to hide away. And even the ones who had extra gold and silver, not every one of them hid their treasure between the stones of his wool. Some found better hiding places than that. Now that's a question, because Hashem says, Nosati, I am giving you a treasure when I send saras on your home. And for many people, there were no treasures of gold and silver hiding in their walls. So what was the treasure for the family standing outside in the cold and rain, watching the walls of their house being demolished? And so we'll say as follows. Even when no gold was found, the family gained an even greater wealth because they discovered the treasure of the home itself. When a person discovers that there were opportunities available to him, that when he found the greatest treasure, the opportunities for greatness that he will now make use of for the rest of his life. And that's why Rabbi Yehuda, when explaining what gift was meant by Nosati, I will give you a present of Saras, didn't mention anything about a hidden treasure. He merely said, these are good tidings that plagues will come upon them. He didn't consider it necessary to add that they might discover hidden gold and silver because the treasure they discovered was even more important than that. The first and most obvious treasure that this family discovered was that having a house is fun. Did you ever think about that? Forced to stand outside of their home as the Kohen went inside to inspect the walls, the father and mother had huddled together with their children and they looked back to consider that maybe they had not been grateful enough to Hashem for the blessings of a home. Blessings 
that were now slipping out of their hands. And it was cold outside. It would rain too. It was so much fun to have walls. Why didn't we appreciate it when we had it? Where are we going to sleep tonight? And so the forlorn family standing there were now discovering the treasure that they had always had hidden in their walls. The treasure of having walls, of having a roof over their heads, the treasure of having a home. And this lesson alone to unearth that treasure of appreciating the walls of your home, that's already enough of a reason for tzara'as to come onto a person's walls. And that's the lesson that we're all expected to learn as we read the parsha that we have to get busy appreciating the four walls of our homes and not wait for the lesson to be taught to us in the way it was taught to this family. You know, that a little child doesn't appreciate a home. He thinks of the street as wonderful, as wonderful. The sidewalk is wonderful. Outside, that's where the fun is. Try to bring a little boy back from the sidewalk into the house. You have to pull him in with horses into the house. And most people never grow out of those childish ideas. They remain children all their lives unless they begin to work, of think, the, the work of thinking, of dilating on each benefit and discovering the great treasure that the home is. Walls are really fun. What would life be without walls? You know, that if not for the walls, the winds would be blowing all the time and the rains would come pouring in as well. It would be very cold in the winter if all you had was a roof. You know, that in this place, we like the rain and the winds. We appreciate them to no end. But we appreciate them most happily from the window standing on this side of the wall and looking out. I was walking this week with a friend of mine and the snow was coming down. I was carrying an umbrella, but he wasn't prepared. He didn't have an umbrella. So he said to me, he's one of my people. So he said, snow is like ice cream. I said, you are correct. That's a, that's a wonderful idea. But ice cream in your ears is not comfortable. We appreciate the snow but we appreciate umbrellas too. So we'll stand on this side of the wall and we'll enjoy the rain and snow and cold. Of course we enjoy it, but we don't have to dive into it. And so you have to learn how to be happy that you have a roof over your head. Here's a poor woman, a homeless lady, a little bit demented. I see her pushing a shopping wagon on Ocean Parkway. All of her possessions are in that shopping wagon. She has nothing. She doesn't have a bathroom. She doesn't have a kitchen. She doesn't have a bed to sleep in. Where does she go when it's raining? A pity on her. You see, she's bedraggled. It's mamish a heartbreak to look at her. If she could only have a place to sleep, but she sits down on a bench, it's freezing weather. She's trying to get a nap on a bench, on a park bench. She's trying to fall asleep. It's freezing and she can't warm up. And you... You have a house with a roof over your head. How lucky she would be if she could have a little place, a shack, with a roof over her head. She'd be the happiest person right now. Even without any heat, she could lie down on the floor at least and sleep. She doesn't even have that. So first learn to enjoy a roof over your head. It takes a long time. A roof over your head. Ah, what a happiness that is. And privacy. Ah, the pleasure of privacy that walls afford us. Life would be no fun at all. 
if your neighbor would always be peeking over from his dining room into yours. It would be a miserable home. And I'll tell you something else, and don't laugh. Without walls, it would be so easy to fall out from the house into the street. Life in the home would always be full of danger. You'd be living precariously all the time. I think about that all the time when I see the walls in my house. And I don't live on the first floor. I live high up. So I enjoy my walls to no end. Now when you begin to think like that, so you realize that walls are not just walls. There's a lot going on behind those walls. Plumbing pipes. Ah! A simcha. You have to tell your children the benefit of having running water in the house. When I went to Europe to learn in the yeshiva, the first thing that I noticed was that there was no running water in the house. You went out into the backyard or a block away where there was a well and you had to carry back a bucket of water with a yoke. It sat across my shoulders, one bucket hanging here and one bucket hanging there. It was a hard job to bring water to the house. And then you poured it into some kind of contraption that was nailed to a wall. And when you wanted to wash your hands, you had to bang underneath on the nail, a big nail. And if it banged hard enough, some water dripped down along the nail. And you had to keep on banging to get your hands wet. You banged and banged, you banged and banged as you washed your hands. So little by little, the water came out. Each time the nail went up, a little water came out. And hot water in the home? Hot water too? Who could have imagined such, who could have imagined such a luxury? In Europe, when you wanted to take a bath, there was no bath in the house. So either you went to the public Schwitzbad, the public bathhouse, or they brought in a tin tub. Some balabatim had a big tin tub and they boiled up water in a tea kettle. One after the other, they poured it in until the tub was half full. Then you bathed in that water in a room someplace, in a bedroom. So you bathed in a tin tub in water which was boiled in tea kettles. When you got through with it, you had a little brother. He bathed after you in the same water because they couldn't afford to fill it up twice. I saw it happen that way. Nobody had a bathroom in the house. In the dead of winter, if you were unfortunate enough to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, so you had to put on your boots. We had to put on our woolen boots and stomp through the deep snow to go to the so-called bathroom. There was no fancy toilet seat. And whatever was, there remained there. Until finally in the summertime when it already had a big aroma. That's when a man with a horse and a wagon came with a long wooden spade and he took it all out. And for miles around, everybody knew what was going on that day because of the fragrance that was wafted on the summer breeze. And you have lights in your home too, don't you? I remember when there was no electric lights, we had gas lights and fires used to take place because of them. I, was one, I once was in a house and there was a fire. The ceiling caught fire from the gas flame. I was watching the firemen trying to put out the fire. And in the streets, I remember the lamplighters used to go around with ladders and light the gas lamps in the street. Of course. Today, if you speak about electric lights to most Jewish children, they'll laugh at you for appreciating such a thing. But that's because they're not being brought up as authentic Jews. An authentic Jew thanks Hashem for artificial light. Actually, we do it every week. People don't know that every week we thank Hashem for artificial light. 
Every day we thank Hashem for the natural light of the sun. But for artificial light, we thank once a week on Moitzei Shabbos. What's that? Did you ever think about that? We're thanking Hashem for artificial lights every week. Some people think it's just a ceremony of frumkite. No, we're makir tov for fire, electric lights, and all other form, forms of artificial illumination. After all, in the olden days when it was nighttime, what could you do? You could sit down and learn Baal if you remembered. But if you didn't remember, you couldn't learn. And now, Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us lights. In 1879, Edison called together a company of scientists and he promised to show them a remarkable thing. For the first time in history, an electric bulb was turned on and they were amazed. They described it as if sunlight filled the room. There never had been such a light before. It's important to explain that to, it's, it's important to explain that to children. It's important to explain it to ourselves, to enjoy the light. And therefore, you should constantly be telling your children, look how lucky we are to have nice homes to live in. It's so much fun to have walls that keep us warm and dry and safe. Now the child might say, what do you mean a nice home? This place is tiny. My friend Sarah down the street has a better house than we do. They have such a big kitchen and a better this and a better that. But you have to drown that out by constantly reiterating to your family all the benefits that they are enjoying. They'll keep complaining and you keep talking about the chas de Hashem. And it sinks in. Trust me, it goes into their heads. And that's the biggest chas. That's the biggest hatsala for the family because it's the family that doesn't appreciate the chesed of a home. That's the home that the negat saras is bound to come upon in order to teach them about the great treasures that a house is. However, everything we've been speaking about is only scratching the surface of what the happiness of a home truly is. And it's only the first lesson that Hashem intended by the gift of Sara'as that a family finds on the walls of its home. Because when a family found themselves homeless, they were expected to understand that it was an, it was an opportunity for repentance. They were expected to understand that this tribulation of losing their home was intended as a punishment for not using their home properly. Actually, a Jewish home is much more than the physical benefits of walls and a roof much more than the blessings of privacy, shelter, plumbing, electricity, and being protected from, from falling into the street. All of that is important, and it was the first and most obvious lesson that they learned. But it's still only part of the treasure that a home is. The aristocratic home of the Am Hashem is something much greater than four physical walls. And now when these walls are broken down, after such drastic warning, this family was expected to exert themselves to begin to utilize the house as a place for avoid des Hashem. What makes the Jewish home a true treasure is that it is the place where the Ami Yisrael is built. That's what our Avos and Imaz did. Their career took, took place primarily in their tents. The Rambam says that. He writes that the sole intention of our Avos in everything that they did was in order to establish a nation that would be servants of Hashem. And therefore, that's the job of the Avos and the Imaz today as well. 
we walk in the footsteps of our fathers, of our forefathers, and we continue to build the Am Yisrael in our homes. And that is the greatest treasure, the greatest privilege that could be afforded to anyone, the privilege of using the home for Avoidus Hashem. And it is that opportunity that was the great treasure that the family discovered when they were forced to leave their home. They were learning now that they had treated their home as just a place to live in instead of a place of aristocracy, the palace that it really was meant to be. And that was the real treasure that they discovered by means of the tzaras. And so when the family returned to their home again, they lived there with the knowledge of that treasure they had unearthed. And they were now ready to make use of it as intended by Hashem. You know, when we think of a home, so we might consider it possibly as a place of relaxation, the place you come back to after a day of toil in the workplace, where you had to act towards people in an unnatural and artificial manner. And now you can come home and you can kick off your shoes, relax, and behave naturally. Because your true career is in the home. It's in the home that you should be acting your best. They tell us about the old Tzelzerav of Yosef Leib, that even in the hottest days of July and August, in those days, they didn't have air conditioners and not even electric fans. And yet he never took off his kapoita in his house. All summer he wore, he wore his long coat because in his house he behaved like a prince in a palace. Now everyone knew that in the house that Tzeldzerav sometimes had to take off his coat, he wasn't a malach. He knew he was a human being who couldn't be a rav in his long coat 24 hours a day. But no matter, he didn't want them to see him like that. Even for his wife and children, he was always the Telzarav. He behaved like a prince in the home because he understood and he wanted his family to understand and the home is a, that the home is a palace, the place where the most important part of history was taking place. The building of the Uma Avodes Es Hashem. Yisrael is a name that puts the Jew far above all of mankind. And that means that the home where the base Yisrael is being built is a place where there should always be an aura or of aristocracy, a feeling that this home is a place of nobility, a place set aside for accomplishing the most important of all endeavors. And when a Yisrael tries to live up to this ideal of nobility, so his behavior in the home is transformed. You know, it makes a big difference whether a man is a nobleman in his own esteem or whether he considers himself a commoner, a nothing. The things that a commoner will do, a noble, a nobleman will not even consider. He can't be busy with novels and magazines, even Jewish magazines that are filled with emptiness. He has more important things than that to accomplish. And so his mannerisms, his attitudes, and his aspirations are entirely different than the non-aristocrats. The entire personality of a person is transformed when he realizes that he is a prince. And when we live in a house where only princes live, so that house becomes something remarkable. Imagine there were princes who lived in a palace, but, become of, but because of some adversity, they had to leave the palace. And now the princes, the royals are living in a hut. But it's not an ordinary farmer's hut. It's not a shepherd's hut. It's a hut of princes now. Their manners are of princes. They spend their time in the way of princes, 
even their speech is that of princes. And therefore, in a Jewish home, it is, a, it is of utmost importance to live up to the idea that we are B'nai Malachim. Before every move made in the home, they consult in their minds the model supplied by the awareness of their royalty. What they think royalty would do, and what they think royalty would do in such a case. A man and woman in the home should always be thinking, what are the royal manners and the aristocratic ideals that should reign in the Jewish home? Of course, we are all human beings and we can't imagine that we will succeed in one fell swoop. But we have to always be aware of the perfection we are striving for. And it is those homes where this is kept in mind always that will never have to be plagued by the warning and lessons of Saras. Now, in order to create an atmosphere of an aristocratic home, an institution where the Am Yisrael is being created, so a father and mother must appear before their children like actors on the stage. You can never be natural. No matter how you feel, you must be to your children a hero. A politician, Lahavdil, never appears in public acting like he really feels. He's knocked out. He's been traveling all night to get here after speaking someplace else. Now he's over here, and he has to get up on the stage. Sometimes he even has to speak at the train station as soon as he gets off the train. You can be sure that he's feeling grouchy and tired. All he wants to do is crawl into bed. Could be he's just been told by his campaign manager that he's trailing badly in the polls and that he's headed to defeat. No matter, he's waving, and he's wreathed in smiles as if all is wonderful. He displays cheer and confidence. He needs votes. What could he do? Now a parent, a parent needs the votes of his children. He needs their votes to build the happy and successful home together. And therefore he should always appear to them as confident. He always knows what to do. He's never desperate or worried. Never mind, he tells his children with a smile. Everything is under control. It's going to be just fine. He's always happy. What he's thinking inside, that's not their business. You know, the Gemara says that a person should be tocho keboro, keboro. His inside should be like his outside. Why doesn't the Gemara say that his outside should be like his inside? Chas v'shalom, that his outside should be like his inside. Be genuine, people say. No, if his outside would be like his inside, the home might become an Italian home, an Irish home, the ideal is that it should be toho kebaro. His inside should be like his outside. The outside must always be good. Only that the inside should attempt to follow the outside. But the outside always must be good. You are the leader and leaders cannot be sad. A leader who shows sadness, who shows lack of confidence is a failure. Even Lahavdil President Reagan, no matter how much he was insulted, he kept his bearings. Even when he was shot in, in the assassination attempt, as they were taking him to the hospital, he made a wise crack to show he was cheerful. That's because he knew how to act. President Reagan was a good president because he was a good actor. He didn't concede. He wouldn't admit that he had a setback. A good leader, a good mother and father, won't show discouragement they always maintain a good cheer. I'm not saying that you have to walk around with a big grin on your face. That's nothing. 
but an underlying appearance, a facade of confidence and cheer, are essential in the home of aristocracy. It doesn't pay for a leader to show discouragement. People don't want discouraged leaders. A prince is a man of confidence, and even when he doesn't have the confidence, he displays it in his demeanor and his countenance and in the way he talks, because the palace is too important for failure. A mother should always appear like a queen before the children. Now that's not easy, particularly when the children are in the house all day long. But it's not easy to be an actor. You have to go to one performance and then to another and then to another. An actor would like to go home and kick off her shoes to relax and lie down on the couch. But for glory, you do it. Or for money. So she appears on the stage each time like a shining queen. And that's how a mother should view herself in the home. Like an actor on the most great stage, putting on the most important performance of her life. And therefore, the ideal of aristocracy should be paramount when a couple builds a Jewish home. Not only should he consider his wife a queen and she should consider him a king, but they should consider themselves as kings and queens. And the children are princes and princesses always cheerful and confident and aware of, the, of their importance in building the Am Yisrael. And it is that atmosphere that beca- becomes the foundation for all the accomplishments of Avodah Hashem in the Jewish home. The home becomes the place, not only of happiness, but of accomplishment. The mundane days of the week become days of accomplishing. Shabbos becomes a day of achieving greatness. Yom Tov is transformed into Avodah Hashem. How important is it for parents to train their children in Simchas Yom Tov? Now some parents think that Simchas Yom Tov means taking out the children on Cholamoid for a ride to go to the park or the zoo. Nothing wrong, but that's Simcha, not Simchas Yom Tov. To train children, even little children, that today is Yom Tov, today is Cholamoid, is so important for building the home. Sit down and make a little Mesiba, even a five-minute Mesiba, L'Chuvad Yom Tov, a little gathering, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday afternoon, a little Mesiba is more important than two hours in the Bronx Zoo, or who knows where. Ogoy also has the Bronx Zoo, but we want to have an arist- aristoc- ar- aristocratic home of princes and princesses. Sit down and talk for a couple of minutes about Yom Tov. Tell the children, let's sing a song, Ata Bichartanu, or a different niggin. And then say, suggest to them, kids, aren't we having a good time, Kindelich? And they all chime in, yes. Now let's go to the zoo. But that's excellent. You accomplished your mission because those few minutes have laid a foundation. Have a wonderful Shabbos.